digital briefcases. We've got digital briefcases. We've got digital high heels. I've got on, I've got, I've got the, like the biggest shoulder pads you've ever seen. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. I've got, uh, I've got, (laughs) I've got on beige pantyhose. Yeah, you do. (laughs) That makes that like swish swish when you walk. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've got just below the knee pencil skirts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very no nonsense. So not, and you know, I only buy no nonsense pantyhose. Uh huh. I know you do. I know you yeah. do. Because you are on. You want everything to represent you. You are on brand with everything. We are today's 1986 woman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey y'all. Uh, welcome to Bible Bitches. We're a podcast, which is a spoken word program much like you used to hear on the radio of old and today we're talking about biblical and religious topics from a feminist comedic perspective which is why i can't keep a straight face Mm. and i am here with the one sarah hoff who i like to call an awesome agnostic living in la california Mm. and i'm talking with uh laura barclay who's a baptist minister located in louisville kentucky and uh, (laughs) you guys Break out your tinfoil hats because today we're talking about Christian cults. Yeah, and actually today, so this is going to be a two-parter. Today we're talking about utopias. The next one's cults, and I honestly am like, what's the difference? I kind of think it's that like utopias were maybe like pre-1900s and cults were like 1900s. Like <laughs> It's like when cults started being defined. That's, that's, that's when that was. And I'm like low-key obsessed with utopian communities and cults. Like I, like for the record, I'm totally against cults, but I'm super fascinated by how they start, what they do, how they gain followers, like the whole psychology of everything behind it. Actually, yeah. What is the etymology of cults? Because I always assumed it came from occult, which occult has been around for a long time. You know, that's a really good question that I do not know the answer to. So if you do know, you linguists out there, let me know. Yeah. Um, I can tell you, and we'll probably put this back in the uh, the next episode, since the next episode is going to focus a little bit more on cults. Yeah. Um, this one's Utopias. Um, again, still... The, the, I feel like it's like a blurred thing between the two. Um, cults are super harmful. Um, and I feel like um, it's helpful to sort of, you know, explain why. So psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton, who once taught at Harvard Medical School, wrote a paper titled Cult Formation in the early 1980s. And he delineated three primary characteristics according to an article that I found in The Guardian. Um, And these are sort of the elements of these kind of very scary, destructive cults. So number one would be a charismatic leader who increasingly becomes an object of worship as the general principles that may have originally sustained the group lose power. So this person becomes your personal Jesus. They are end all be all. This is the person you're going to follow, kind of like Trump, right? Um, Just joking, not really joking, it's cool. Um, Number two, a process of indoctrination or education is in use that can be seen as like a coercive persuasion or thought reform. Basically, we're talking about brainwashing here, right? Mm -hmm. You take somebody, put them in a different uh, atmosphere, and then you tell them what to think over and over again. Um, 
So number three would be the economic, sexual, and other exploitation of group members by the leader um, or the ruling class in the cult. So this would be that there's sort of this upper class and then the lower class is subject to that. So there's abuse, there's violence, there's mass suicide, all these terrible things that happen, right? There's 10 warning signs also that he says that are sort of unsafe things that you might want to look out for. Just look around if you're in some sort of religious or even secular group um, and you're like, hmm, I'm feeling not okay about it. Okay, look for absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. No tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. No meaningful financial disclosure regarding budget or expenses, such as an independently audited financial statement. I would also say that for any charity you donate to, look for that. Um, unreasonable fear about the outside world, such as impending catastrophe, evil conspiracies, and persecutions, right? Like they're super paranoid. Um, there is no legitimate reason to leave and former followers are always wrong in leaving, negative or even evil, they're totally shunned, right? Former members often relate the same stories of abuse and reflect a similar pattern of grievances. There are records, books, news articles, or broadcast reports that document the abuses of the group and or leader, and you're probably gonna be super discouraged from looking at that. I'm thinking Scientology, please don't sue us. Um, followers feel they can never be good enough the group leader is always right, and the group or leader is the exclusive means of knowing truth or receiving validation. No other process of discovery is really acceptable or credible, but seriously, if you've ever watched that Leah Romini show, oh my god. <laughs> oh, buddy. Sarah, what do you think about that? I feel like a lot of those are like what I grew up with is that checks a lot of boxes of my like how I grew up essentially don't question right don't question don't the question is everything you, leave, you get shunned um it like it there's like an unnecessary like an uh, weird unnecessary fear of like the end times um that, that kind of stuff yes I think that's true I think that um there's no financial statement disclosed Yes, right. So um, I would say very similarly, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church where no financial statements were disclosed. What the pastor said was, was God, right? So um, I think you should go through and, you know, I, I don't know if what the church that we grew up in would, would have the criteria of a cult, right? Because I still do talk to people that are in that church. Um, however, I think <laughs> maybe do some discernment. If, if we're ticking off these things and maybe there's five of 10, you might be like, huh, that's problematic. Too, too many. Too I, many. I, feel like, I feel like you can maybe do like one and even then be skeptical. Yeah. Just none of those. It depends on the one. Like you don't want to get into a situation where there's an authoritarian perspective, right? Yeah, like I'm just looking at these and I just, I feel like there's no excuse for any of them, like at all. Like my church, I, like I'm, I'm very blessed to go to a church that none of these are even remotely accurate. Like, like the one I think that would be fairly common for conservative churches would be no tolerance for questions or critical mm -hmm. inquiry. Mm -hmm. And like our church is like all questions critical inquiry. Yeah. Like, 
Uh, like basically you could walk through the whole like you know I always joke I always joke Sarah that your position is always like but is it but like literally you could walk into any of our like bible study classes and it would be like but is it though (laughs) like it's just like that's always what's going on in there just ask questions people and if people don't want you to ask questions there's a problem yeah okay but that's what we're talking about today we're talking about utopias today, oh, which is which there's may, like maybe a Venn diagram, right? Like, because that was utopias. The utopias we're talking about were a little back in the day, but there might be some overlap, right? Yeah, let's just get into it, and then we can kind of dig into the difference. Uh, all right, all right, let's do it. Um, okay. Do you think we're gonna disagree in this episode? Probably not. We might disagree on like what the difference between a utopia no i don't even think we'll disagree on what a utopia and a cult is we might disagree on like how far into how far into religion a cult gets right like i would say that there are branch for for sure there are branches of christianity that are accepted as christianity that i'm like no that's a cult that's no i agree with that i 100 percent agree with that Yeah. yeah Yeah. So mm. this might be just a, this might just be a lot of agreement, but that's okay. We can still have a lot of fun and agree. Um, <laughs> it's the worst when we agree. Oh my God, Sarah, why are you like all up on my opinion? Anyway. <laughs> I'm so unsatisfied when I can't find an angle that, <laughs> that disagrees with yours. <laughs> it's a total joke. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. So, um, one thing that uh, I think we can all agree um, about cults is that, you know, there are leaders, batshit crazy, the rules they make, batshit crazy. Um, And, uh, you know, if you're living in a community and someone is either claiming to be Jesus or trying to make rules that everyone has to have sex with them, just don't do it, okay? Just don't do it. Here's the thing. Uh, I think that, you know, if you're, you know, not living in a community with somebody trying to be Jesus or saying that everybody has to have sex with them is a really good rule when you're trying to cohabitate. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. I would totally live with you and a bunch of other grads from our divinity school program at Wake Forest University School of Divinity. But I feel like we would have to have basic rules and a very clear, simple mission, like providing low cost goat's milk to surrounding counties. <laughs> like, with, but like, with, like 1,000. Like, I, like, this is the thing, like, I feel like there's traditional monasteries that have been there, like, 1,000 years, you know, and they've somehow figured out the thing, but for now, it's just too easy to, like, break up a community or for somebody to just be like, oh, you guys, guess what, I'm Jesus, (laughs) you know? A couple of things. One, it's, uh... Like let's let's go ahead and just have a moment of honesty that we wouldn't be providing goat's milk. We would one hundred percent be providing like high grade whiskey. Like that's all we would be doing. Just like high grade, like been aged for so long and it's just got that beautiful caramel color and it's like gorgeous and that's all we're gonna do. And we're gonna drink, you know, eighty percent of it, but we'll sell twenty percent. But we will also have goats to maintain instead of lawnmowers. <laughs> yes, 100% we'll have goats instead of lawnmowers. I'm just like looking for an angle to get goats in there, basically. Yeah, no, and we're gonna we're gonna have some goats milk or some sorry some goats cheese. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I volunteer to uh, like maintain that. 
Yeah, and we'll need them for the yoga again. <laughs> anyway. No, um, I just need to be in a utopia with goats. But also, like, I think, okay, let's just, let's get into it and we can talk about it later. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's do a little bit of backstory on utopias. The concept of communal living has been around for a long while, but Thomas More in his work Utopia really launched the literary genre and sparked the imagination. Um, Utopias compare the idea of perfect religious utopia against the organized chaos of of European secular states. Um, And More, uh, Thomas More, thought people could survive without lawyers, live in communal ownership, offer education to men and women, have religious toleration, and things like that. It sounds beautiful. Doesn't work. It sounds beautiful. Except he really super hated atheists. (laughs) (laughs) He did. He was, you know, there were just like, he was trying, and then at the end he was like, oh, God, but I can't deal with atheists. (laughs) Um, Well... And if you're wondering, like, Thomas More lived during the era of uh, Henry VIII, and he was actually executed by Henry VIII um, because he was not going along with some stuff. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second. While some people believe that Thomas More used his knowledge of monasticism as a backdrop, uh, euthanasia was legal in Utopia, his book, which is a big no-no in Catholicism. So that was a little bit kind of out there for him, like a little bit liberal. And Thomas More sort of prophesied his own downfall as one of the main characters noted uh, in his book had a conflict between his role, his own role, as the king's servant, which Thomas More was, and his personal beliefs and worried that they would come to a head, right? So he's loyal to the king, but he also has his own personal beliefs and they're in clash, just like with Henry VIII. In real life, they did, as Thomas More was beheaded by Henry VIII because he didn't think that Henry VIII should become head of the church and use the church as a tool to divorce his wife. And on that point, Thomas More, we agree, because quick history, what happened was Henry VIII separated from the Catholic Church because he wanted to divorce Catherine of Aragon in order to marry Anne Boleyn. And so he said, well, I'm just going to become head of the, of the Church of England, do my own thing, and get a divorce from Catherine, and then marry my side piece, um, Anne Boleyn, who I actually really like a lot. Um, Henry VIII was an asshole, though. And I heard that we just call her um, birthing hips Boleyn. That's what everybody calls her. Is that what everyone calls her? Everyone calls her Birthing Hips Boleyn. Birthing Hips Boleyn. Oh my god. I love Anne Boleyn. Uh, she was actually a reformer as well. And she also became the mother of Queen, the Queen Elizabeth I. So, and then Henry VIII also executed her uh, three years after their marriage because he's a dipshit and an asshole. Okay? I hate him. But, you know, who has opinions? Me. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> Can can I potentially argue that um, King Henry VIII just basically using his dick to create divorce as a thing is like chaotic good because it's been good? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, except I'm going to say, no, I think he's chaotic evil because here's the thing, like 
he started his own church, right? Just to divorce Catherine of Aragon. Yeah, but we're part of that church now. We're Protestant. No, we're not. No, 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 no. There's so many different types of Protestant. Okay. I know, I know, but you, there wouldn't be Protestantism. There wouldn't be Protestantism without him. The Church of England persecuted my people. I am not one of them. (laughs) There wouldn't be any kind of Protestantism without Okay, that's a, that, you know what, let's okay, have that. Wait, wait, just, just like side, sidebar, sidebar, real sidebar. My people were never Church of England. They were Catholic, and then they were Quaker, and then they were Baptist, and they kept getting thrown in jail by the King of England because he's an asshole, okay? Just saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a super fun side argument. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have some opinions on this. I didn't know I had opinions on this, but I have some opinions. That's so. That's the best. That's you know what. That's the most fun is when you're like, oh wow, I really have a strong opinion about this. Yeah, that's hilarious. Right? No, I don't like him at all because I feel like I feel like while there were other religious leaders of the day that actually had some serious opinions and really believed what they, I just think he was full of shit and he murdered like oh one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. He was super full of shit. Oh my God, he's such an asshole. And, and like, he was a wing of Protestantism that became the Church of England, that became Anglicanism, that became Episcopalianism. And I love Episcopalianism. Episcopalianism in the United States is like one of the most reasonable voices. So we have, we begrudgingly maybe have him to thank for that. So maybe chaotic. I don't know. I can't, I can't. I just hate Henry VIII so much. This should maybe be a separate episode. This would be a great debate. I would love um, it. I would love it. That's so much fun. Okay. Um, put back. Okay, I'm reeling it in. Okay, so uh, while Thomas More was wrong about a lot, and he was definitely a product of his time, we have to give Thomas More credit for launching the utopia genre, the literary genre, and even more interesting, it's foil dystopian fiction, like Handmaid's Tale, which I'm watching now. Shout out. I love dystopian fiction. Mm. So good. Yes. Um, and and you said, side note, you said that you've read Oryx and Crate, but have you read the whole trilogy? No. It's a trilogy. <gasps> it's a trilogy? It's a trilogy. Sarah just blew my mind. Yeah. And, and like, I didn't really, like, love it when I first read it, but it just kind of stuck with me. And I, re- I just, I like it. I just like it. I'm into it. Anyways. I'm going to have um, to Back to the shakers. So, so that's where we're going to talk. That's what we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about a few different kinds of um, groups that, that tried real hard to be utopian. Um, and the first is the shakers. So um, as the Protestant Reformation raged, more and more denominations and splinters occurred from the Catholic Church, right? More and more denominations splintered away from the Catholic Church. Um, and one we'll focus on here is a group that broke off from the Religious Society of Friends or Quakers in England. Which shout out to my ancestors. And like it's just such a sweet, it's just such a sweet kind of breath of fresh air in Christianity are the Quakers. They're just so sweet. Anyways. Wait, can I just can I I just want to give a shout out to my ancestors <laughs> real quick. Robert Google, Robert Barclay, uh, he basically was like the biggest voice in the 1500s in Scotland for Quakerism, and his, um, his dad bought a barony um, based on his uh, 
he went and did a lot of mercenary work and then came back and, and bought a barony, which seems very not like, you know, Quakers are super like anti-violent. So yeah, so Robert's dad did a lot of mercenary work and then used it to buy a barony in order to house the Quakers. Then that became the headquarters for Quakers in Scotland and basically birthed a lot of the Quaker movement in Scotland. So my, my ancestors, super Quakers. Yeah. We should be talking about, we're, but we're today, today we're talking about the Shakers. Also, the Shakers are well known for the fact that they didn't have sex. And so that's how they died out, right? Yes, we're totally going to get to that. Okay, so this group that was founded in the 1700s was called, technically called, United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing, but they're more well known as the Shakers because of their ecstatic worship practices. This group originally was led by Jane Wardley and believed Jesus would come to earth again as a woman. Oh, and so they were looking specifically for women preachers. Well, that's just refreshing. It is nice. Right. Um, and a woman named Anne Lee joined the Quakers in nine or in seventeen. Oh, whoa, that would have been really late. Seventeen fifty-eight. <laughs> and Anne Lee did not want to marry, but was forced into marriage and survived four miscarriages. Yikes! Uh, she soon led her own community and experienced being jailed for her beliefs. She believed that Adam and Eve fell due to lust and sex which I get that because she really didn't want to marry, right? She was kind of forced into it. Like, get the fuck off me, dude. And then had um, like four traumatic miscarriage experiences. Yes, right? Get yeah. off me. So she had a series of revelations encouraging celibacy, aka get the fuck off me. Yeah. By 1770, her followers believed she was the embodiment of the second coming of Jesus and was called Mother Anne. In 1774, after receiving revelations, she came to New York City from Liverpool. Her husband soon left her because I guess he wasn't about that celibacy life. <laughs> she, she related that she had a vision for America. Quote, I saw a large tree, every leaf of which shone with such brightness as made it appear like a burning torch, representing the Church of Christ, which will yet be established in this land. Yeah, um, from there, the church spread west and by the mid-1800s, had around 6,000 followers in over a dozen communities. Because they didn't believe in procreation, they gained converts and eventually focused on taking in orphans. The strategy ultimately didn't work so well as the orphans grew up and left the community to marry, and now there are only two living members left in um, Sabbath Day Lake Shaker Village, which is located in Maine. Um, many of their previous community sites are now historically preserved. That's right. And I've actually been to one, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, um, that's located in Kentucky. Uh, their commitment is to communal living, laboring together, pacifism, gender equality, abolitionism. Those are all qualities that really sets them apart as being quite somewhat socially progressive, right? The problem was that they don't believe in procreation, so whoops. They did make some banging hymns, though, let me tell you, probably because they danced during their worship services and needed a hot beat. So look up Simple Gifts and Come Shake Your Life, because I found one really lit 
uh, recording of Come Shake Your Life where it's just a lot of like banging on the ground with your boots and clapping. And it looks like a lot of fun and I kind of want to learn. It's like, come shake a life, come shake a life. And I'm butchering that, but it's kind of like a rap. It's really cool. <laughs> so I'm, I'm concerned, Laura, that you included the shakers as a utopia because a utopia, there is no utopia without sex. <laughs> I agree. Let's agree to agree. I could not, like, I love so much about this utopia except that, like. No sex. It's I bet that, you know what I bet they didn't drink either. Probably not. I, I mean, don't I don't know for sure, but probably not. They got these banging hymns, but they don't. <laughs> I think that's what it is: is they just dance so much that they get out all their like they're just spent mm-hmm. at the end of it. They like ate a lot of like graham crackers and cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. They talked about the diabetes. Yeah. Okay, so according to the National Park Services, there are a lot of shaker communities still around. It looks like a lot of them are really on the East Coast, um, but they go as far west as Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. Um, So my quick plug is for Shaker Village at Pleasant Hill in Kentucky. I actually considered getting married there uh, because it's so pretty. But the logistics were too difficult and it was out of a price range. But I do love going there. It's now a museum. It's a park. There's an inn you can stay in. There's a restaurant. They have animals on site. They do an old-fashioned garden. They grow all their own food. And then um, all that food goes into the restaurant. Um, They try to show you how shakers would have lived. And there's a lot of demonstrations. And it's really awesome. It's just a great place to go. So if you're ever in Kentucky, I highly recommend that as a place to go. Um, so, and they preserved almost the entire town. Um, so yeah, go, um, if you have the opportunity to hit any of the historic places, you, there's some in Maine, New York, New Hampshire, Connecticut, um, just Google park service and shaker villages. And you can, you can find that. Um, but if you have the opportunity to hit up one place, even beyond my own here in uh, Kentucky, maybe go to the one in Maine because there's two shakers left. Uh, alive and they're at the one in Maine so maybe go for it other than the no sex bit I really dig this community it's pretty awesome okay so there's two things about this that's crazy to me like and I don't mean like crazy crazy I just mean like wild um but like not having sex and also being the last two members of your religion there's a guy a a guy that's like maybe boomer-ish and like boomer generation and then another woman that's like older than him and I've, I've, I watched some interviews with them for this and that was wild to me. It's like, these are the last two people on earth that are shakers. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so, oh, the Anita colony yeah. um, of their cutlery fame. Yes. Um, so I have their nice cutlery. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to move on to the Oneida colony and its founder, John Humphrey Noyes. Noyes? Noyes! No. Noyes. Yeah, I think it's it's noise, but I don't know. Noyes? Like as in... Noyes? I'm going to go with noise. I like noise. Yeah, I like noise. Um, we're going to pull a lot from the article called The Psychology of Free Love in the Oneida Community by Lawrence Foster that was published in the Australian Journal of American Studies. <laughs> Deep cut, but we got it off of JSTOR. So it's, 
it's legitimate. Come on. Um, I did not know that existed, but I'm now really excited that it does. Like, and I'm going to like read that list. No, like, GSER is great. Yeah. Like was, the Australian Journal of American Studies. I want to know what they think about us. Like, that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so Noyes was born in 1811 in Southern Vermont. His father, named John, was a businessman who served in the U.S. House of Representatives, um, who was a distant cousin of President Ruther B. Hayes. Um, and he, he felt the call, as you might say, during a religious revival in 1831 and went on to attend Andover and Yale seminaries to study ministry. And uh, Noyes was working himself into a lather, reading the Bible 12 to 16 hours a day. Whew. trying to uncover God's call in his life. I mean, I feel like we got close to that in div school, but just not, not, not there. Not there. Well, I mean, it sounds like he was on a lot of methamphetamines, so that probably was our downfall. We didn't have... <laughs> yeah, we wanted a steady supply of meth. Like, what is, what's the 1800s version of meth? I mean, probably just cocaine. Like, it was super chill back then, wasn't it? Yeah, true. And, like, opioids. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so he was on maybe meth. We don't know. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna, we're just gonna like read in a lot of, just a lot of false information into this. <laughs> so the fake news is that he was on meth, but maybe not. Who knows? Um, so he was working himself into a lather, reading the Bible 12 to 16 hours a day, trying to uncover God's call in his life. And he finally realized in 1834 that being perfect was impossible. Shock. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty perfect. You are perfect. Am I? As the head of our cult, Sarah, you're perfect. Hulkastikism. <laughs> the, the worst religion. It's just all about, like, making cocktails and, like, doing stupid shit. Um, you've, like, literally sold me just based on that. So. <laughs> like, let's just watch bad horror movies and drink booze. You know my heart, Sarah. <laughs> it doesn't like the best. <laughs> I'm I'm already in hufftasticism. It's yeah. we're just we're just gonna eat a lot of pizza. <laughs> like yeah. you're saying, you're not selling me on it, but you're selling me on it. <laughs> Is there whiskey? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. There's whiskey. I am one hundred percent. There's like whiskey and camelbacks with just a little like little guy I'm, at your mouth. I'm a card carrying member of hostasticism. <laughs> Are there cards? That well, I think we could please let's not get cards, but yes. yes. There yes. are imaginary cards. There's real cards, and I'm gonna make one. Um okay. Um okay. So um so it's good that Noyes realized that he wasn't perfect, but unfortunately, his next so-called revelation was not great. He felt that he just needed to have an attitude of an inner sense of salvation from sin, not any outward acts per se. And so he publicly announced he was perfect in the sense of feeling saved, not necessarily being perfect. And his peers thought he was fucking nuts. I mean, if you feel you are perfect, that's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. It's not good. Yeah, because his whole thing was that you just need an attitude adjustment. 
That's yeah. ridiculous. You just got to have the attitude of perfection and then you're good. <laughs> like every mom talking to their 13 year old ever just being like, you need an attitude adjustment. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Anyways, he, he just kind of wandered around for three years trying to convert people and during this time came to believe that sex and or abstinence wasn't important like his contemporaries believed, but that love could be expressed freely among Christians. <laughs> Me too. And that's when everyone thought he'd lost it because sex wasn't something you really did in the 1830s. That shit was on lockdown through a fucking sheet, probably. Yeah, little holes in sheets. <laughs> I really like that shit back then. Like Joel Osteen today. Allegedly! <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> we're getting so saucy, y'all. Okay. I love it. I love it. I love it. He, noise meaning he, really hated individualism and wanted communalism in all things, including sex. So he started a school in Putney, Vermont, which grew into a community there. And then they moved from there to a community in Oneida, New York. Um, and in Oneida, he drilled down this uh kind of community on the principles of male continence which is like not coming um mutual criticism i.e telling each other like what you think you're fucking up on in christianity and your terms of your behavior and complex marriage i.e polyamory but like their own version of polyamory not not polyamory in the 20th century okay so we need to explain all of those things and we will. So this is <laughs> like, here's the thing is like each one of those things aren't necessarily bad. Right. But the way that he implements them is because they're just, cause he forces them on everyone. He's like, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So regarding male continence, uh, noise wanted a national form of birth control he saw his wife go through five difficult childbirths and they lost four of the kids in the process. So he didn't want any unplanned pregnancy. But here's an issue. Male continence wasn't just pulling out. Um, it was never ejaculating at all outside of procreative sex. And like, who monitors this? Like, how do you decide? Um, I'm already starting to see how this community failed. Um, that sounds just so unsatisfying. Like, it, it, it just sounds like so unsatisfied. It's awful. Uh, so, noise, noise, I just hope I keep wanting to say that, explains male continence with a hilarious metaphor. Quote, the situation may be compared to a stream. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back together. The situation may be compared to a stream in three conditions. One, like a babbling book stream? <laughs> This is going to take 40 minutes to get through. <laughs> Two, no, it, but it's, I'm going to laugh all the way through it. Okay. So a stream in three conditions, male continents, right? One, a fall. Two, a course of rapids above the fall. And three, still water above the rapids. The skillful boatman. Okay. Oh my God. How can I not laugh when we're talking about sex and a little man in a boat? Yeah. <laughs> Can't, Sierra. Why did I? Why did I give this point to myself? Because I can't. Um, I don't know. Okay. So the skillful boatman. 
may choose whether he will remain in the still water or venture more or less down the rapids or run his boat over the fall. But there is a point on the verge of the fall where he has no control over his course. Mm -hmm. That's an orgasm, people. Yeah. Um, but so uh, just above that, just above the orgasm waterfall, uh, there is a point where he will have to struggle with the current in a way which will give his nerves a severe trial, even though he may escape the fall. If he's willing to learn, experience will teach him the wisdom of confining his excursions to the region of easy rowing, unless he has an object in view that is worth the cost of going over the falls. Boobs. Uh, boobs. That's <laughs> not, that's not boobs to hit. It's noise. It's noise, but noise. Yes, <laughs> it's not boobs. It's a, it's some sort of, uh, it's a little bit handmade telly and that it's a, it's a uh, fertile lady that he's been like, yeah, you should go ahead and go forward with this. Mm. So, so just to recap, uh, Basically, men are supposed to come to the precipice, but not ejaculate when having sex with the women folk. Yeah. Yeah. And like, somehow this worked. Only 12 unplanned pregnancies happened in 20 years with around 200 adults in the community. And he had set up, uh, he had set up where women in menopause would teach younger men how to sex and keep from ejaculating. And older men would teach younger women how to have sex. Uh, it's kind of disturbing. I mean, it, it sometimes seems like it was an initiation of sorts and like a little bit rapey. And if you're wondering if the men got blue balls, apparently most went on to actually have successful procreative sex. So no, it would seem not. Noise sons peri point peri point. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's like. Is it Pierre Point? Pierre Pont? Maybe Pierre Pont. Pierre Pont. I like, Pierre Pont. I like Point. Pierre Pont. Pierre Pont. Noise and Pierre Pont recalled <laughs> the environment as always having romantic excitement, which meant dudes were probably horny and giving flowers and chocolates to women everywhere with eyes glazed over. Right. I mean, uh, uh, like an air of romantic excitement. If it's a bunch of dudes that can never come to completion right of course they would be like ah, yes. ladies hi <laughs> i'm seeing your ankles and i'm liking what i'm seeing <laughs> <laughs> um okay so the next question you might have is what about the ladies orgasms so medical historian norman himes noted the united community stands out historically as perhaps the only group experiment at least in the western world placing a great emphasis on the full satisfaction of the women and this is a culture dominated by male attitudes so that's not normative right because dudes be about dudes am i right um sex researcher havelock ellis found that women had orgasms at oneida in addition women were able to wear pants work outside the home, and have short hair. So it was more relaxed in terms of gender roles all around. The ladies that could wear pants, they could have short hair, they could have orgasms, they could work outside the home. It's crazy. I, I, feel, I mean, like, I would probably sign up for this. Like, like yeah. in, in the 18, what was this, the 1830s? Except for that you get, you, like, have to learn how to have sex from, like, you know, a 16-year-old. Yeah. That's... 
Yeah, no, that's the creepiest part of this is that it's like, uh, you're gonna get paired with an old guy and he's gonna be like telling me how to have sex. No, get also off like, but think of how much easier it was to have sex with a younger guy after that. Yeah, that's true. Like, here's my question: is like, are are we talking about like an 18 year? No, no, because it says they're like a menopause, right? So this would be like some guy comes of age. And we're talking about a girl that's like, or a woman that's like 40 years, maybe older than 50. Yeah. So maybe like 30 years older. Yeah, probably. That's like, uh, that's kind of shady. Yeah. It's weird. Weird. Anyways. I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I, I am going back on that statement. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay. (laughs) Um, So they have this principle that I can't, decide if I love or hate. It's called um, the principle of mutual critique, where people were evaluated by the group for character development by about a dozen people consisting of equal gender representation. It like it, it seemed to help with community cohesion, so there wasn't an established government in Oneida or Oneida. It was kind of a festivist. Like, they're like, you know, I feel like they're telling everybody, hey, this is everything that's wrong with you, but we're telling you in love in a group. It sounds like a sorority. Yes, it 100% sounds like a sorority. Mm. 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 So I kind of, okay, so here's, here's like where I fall in the middle. I think if you're going to live in community, it's important to have that communication. I like that it's direct, but it's supposedly not cruel. I like that it's not cruel, but I don't know. Like in practice, was it? I don't know. Um, I think that you have to have clear communication and cohabitation situations, right? Like you have to be able to tell each other, like, you know, Sira, I really like that you wear unicorn costumes. Every I don't love that at two o'clock in the morning, you're always ramming me with your horn. (laughs) You seem like you like it. Okay, I like it. Just kidding. did not seem right. That seemed a little rapey. <laughs> You're ramming me with your horn in a in my hand. I don't know. In a non-rapey way. I don't know. I literally, in my mind, I pictured you in a total onesie with the little horn. Yeah, I'm... And then like waking up to you being like, hey, hey, hey. Ladies and gentlemen, she's imagining that I'm poking her horn into her forehead. Yes horn to horn this I'm not making it better I don't it's not it doesn't sound good when I say it like that I promise you that in my brain it's g-rated anyway it's not (laughs) it's it's not coming out that way even remotely is it Sarah in my brain it's g-rated there's literally no way to translate that it just keeps coming out not rated okay you okay all right moving on moving on Moving on from Sarah's horn. Um, Okay, so the next principle, complex marriage, gets really weird. And let's be clear, we are not talking about polyamory right now. I'm not saying that polyamory is weird. Um, Polyamory would be where adults consent to be in a non-monogamous relationship with more than two, but generally less than a dozen people in a network. That's not what we're talking about right now. Communication is absolutely key and monogamous and polyamorous relationships but this complex marriage was literally everyone all 200 of them in this community 
And Noise noted he was trying to get rid of the sin of selfishness and trying to get everyone to be invested in the community at large. That sounds nice that he wants everyone to be invested in one another. But there's some, like, really sketchy shit involved in this. Mm -hmm. According to the community handbook, the honor and faithfulness that constitutes an ideal marriage may exist between 200 as well as two. While the guarantees for women and children are much greater in the community that they can be in any private family. Here's the thing. I love that they're all about, like, women's equality, but you cannot have that level of communication with 200 people. Like, it's just not possible. And also, if you're involving like 18 year olds or maybe younger we don't actually know how old they were when they were considered sexually mature with older people this can be really manipulative so i there's some serious issues with this yeah so basically monogamy close friends and parent-child relationships were made taboo everyone lived in a mansion together and did communal activities together sociologists historians and psychologists debate his motives like was he unable to commit? Was he deeply insecure and essentially needed a cult to build him up? We, we don't know. We probably won't ever know. But maybe it's all of the above. While socioeconomic and eco- occupational backgrounds varied, members were chosen for their loyalty to Noy's idea, ideas that made it work for about 30 years and the richer members could invest in the community. Noy's son noted that the adults and children were happy and everyone both worked and played. Um, Susan Bell at USC also said in an article titled The Scandalous Story Behind a Popular Silverware Brand, um, one interesting theory was that his first real love, Abigail Merlin, broke up with him and, and married another. Um, he wrote to her and told her she would be his bride in heaven, and this was his whole basis for the communal marriage. Yeah, so maybe he had his own personal stuff he was trying to work through, right? Um, and then that mixed with a whole lot of power, never a good thing, right? Yeah. Uh, the community broke up probably because Noise was getting older, losing his hearing, and couldn't really attend or lead meetings as much. This created a leadership vacuum, and younger members were unattached to the earlier struggles of the group forming, trying to get their land, all that kind of stuff, and so they weren't as committed. And let's be honest, the dudes probably wanted to get off and they really wanted to do it with a specific person that they were attracted to probably and probably in the back of a carriage or barn. And this was totally not okay. So they just didn't have the, like, it sounds like everybody had a lot of freedom, but they really didn't, right? They, it wasn't like, hey, you can be poly, you can be monogamous, you can be, it wasn't like that. It was like no one, if, if you want to be, like hooked up with a particular person or a particular couple people like that's not okay like it's got to be everyone everyone and that's that's where it gets shady um a huge issue that we've yet yet to delve into is that young people had problems um with something that noise initiated called syrup culture or eugenics program near the end of the community in 1868 basically saying that the only that only some people were worthy enough to procreate and those who were worthy enough were allowed to full bone and have kids just full on bone <laughs> and because the US and western nations have serious problems with eugenics and race this is clearly an abhorrent practice yeah so basically this was uh, a very early uh example of someone 
trying to do eugenics. Basically saying that, like, I'm deciding for the community who is uh, genetically superior, and then I'm going to choose to mate these two people together so that they have a superior baby. So the horror of that, right? Like, we think about uh, eugenics being practiced in the, like, sterilization of African-American persons in the United States. Mm -hmm. We think about that in uh, Germany, um, where they did not want to have Jewish babies, right? It was like, you know, creating an Aryan race of people who are white, whatever that means, right? And so, what to whatever anybody's particular idea is of genetically superior and this is where noise towards the end of this gets real shady because he's starting to hook people up based on what he believes is genetically superior and i could not figure out what that meant to him so i don't know if it was based on race i don't know if it was based on hey they're tall or they're not sick or whatever i don't know what that is but it's really fucked up Mm -hmm. um because he was hooking people up um specifically in saying you can't mate you can mate and that's really just super not good um so that is where we have to say noise really super fucked up and is not that's not okay yeah. right <laughs> not okay i think a lot of this is kind of fucked up, a lot of fucked up. <laughs> i mean like okay so so let's recap the fucked up in this about noise uh that he that he uh practice eugenics a uh, primitive form of eugenics that he uh, basically told everybody who they, that they had to hook up with multiple people, even if they didn't want to, that they, that he initiated um, into some sort of sexual relationship, young people with older people. Mm. Um, Like older people, but like old people. Yeah. That can be super manipulative. Yeah. Like, Uh, like now in like current culture, like fifties and sixties would be considered older, but back then that was like, the death rattle. <laughs> yeah. And like, I couldn't, I, there were some sources that said this and some sources that didn't, that said that basically he had to hook up with everybody. So I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I can only imagine if you have full reign and everybody thinks that you're the guru and this committee, you know, you know, uh, the, the leader of this community. I don't want to say guru because that has a totally different con- connotation outside the United States. But if you, if you're the leader of this community that maybe people are saying, yeah, no, that's totally fine. You should hook up with everybody. So maybe he has like some vetting of, process. Yeah. Like what if, what if he gets to, I don't know. It's just so gross. Yeah. So, it's weird. I just don't like this. I, I, you know, there are aspects of this that are nice in terms of gender equality, but there are some serious issues with this community that are problematic. Um, so in 1879, the community's dis- disbanded with the manufacturing of the spoons, you know, that you know about the Oneida uh, silverware that you might have put on your wedding registry, <laughs> moving to Wallaford, Connecticut and morphing into Oneida LTD, which is now the massive silverware company. They make, you know, all different kinds of utensils. Um, it's super weird to think about this being the history of your breakfast spoon, right? <laughs> like, when I eat my Czech cereal or my yogurt in the morning, holy shit, there's a lot of baggage there. But anyways, you can still tour the property, which is now actually like a nonprofit. And the descendants of Noise are still around and are actually very pretty open and honest about their history and really cool. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to look into. 
Yeah. So basically the takeaway here is that don't regulate people's sexuality. Like, I feel like, you know, we talked about the criteria for cults. We'll go, we'll go into that next time again when we actually do cults that are in the 20th century. But uh, there, I feel like definitely the Oneida colony was going into that territory. It was where you had a charismatic leader that was telling people who they could and couldn't have sex with. But the Shakers, too, were doing that, yeah. like, that you couldn't have any sex. And, and yeah. I mean, that's an important part of human identity is the, yeah. the, the ability to, like, express yourself sexually. So For sure. We're fully embodied people. In conclusion, a utopia doesn't exist. I haven't found it yet. Mm-mm. Unless all of my buddies get together from Wake Forest Divinity School and there's goats and whiskey. And whiskey, yeah. And just like pizza. There's like a daily pizza that just arrives. It just magically arrives. Yes. And nobody says, I think I'm Jesus. And if that happens and we're all like, you're out. I think that's a good, I think that's a good rule. Yeah. Nobody thinks that they're Jesus. <laughs> And if they do, then we're like, mm, we're going to get you uh, into therapy and yes. on the correct medication. And yes. uh, then let's talk. It's like on the wall. Nobody says they're Jesus. And then we get you the help you need if you say you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good call. That's great. These are all really good rules. So mm. y'all, we're going to come back at you next time with cults. And it's going to get a lot more intense, y'all, because in the 20th century, everything gets weird. So... Yeah, like, fucking, fu those fucking revivals during the Dust Bowl, that shit's crazy. Oh, my God. Also, if y'all haven't seen the, the show Carnival. Oh, it's, yeah. It's a deep cut. Like, that's, like, 10 years old, but it's so good. It's so good. It gives you an idea of those, like, old school revivals, and it is super weird. And yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, But, yeah, you guys, um, we want to – we're – Thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you guys would um, share this episode or any episode that you love on social media. Um, we're super excited about it. Um, also, I want to announce that we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing a live show at Wild Goose in yeah, about a month. We've got, the, we've got the happy hour slot. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Like we'd love for you guys to come and check it out. We'll be doing our podcast at the happy hour special on July 13th. It's a Saturday night. You guys come. It would be amazing. It's going to be in North Carolina. It'll be just like a great time. Yeah, and, um, North Carolina. Be there or be square. So yeah, you can find us on uh, SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. Please subscribe to us um, and rate us. Tell us how, tell us what you think. If it's a five-star review, but if not, then go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, shit. Not fired. Just kidding. Just kidding. Allegedly! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and um, thank you so much to Engaged Gays for hosting our podcast. Um, they're doing great work over there, and they're doing their own podcast on, um, like, culture and, uh, like, pop culture and religion. It's really great. Um, yeah, I think they're getting ready to do one. Uh, I think they're going to focus on the next season of Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yeah, probably. And also, yeah. like, shout out to John Erickson for finally, like, um, he, like, got his PhD. Like, he finished yes! his and, Like, that's fucking awesome. That's huge. Um, Everybody, teach the yeah. children. <laughs> children are our future. <laughs> I don't know. Find a way. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
you can find us on Twitter and yes, Facebook. at Bible Bitches. Yeah, you at Bible Bitches. DM us. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do DM us. We're always we're always just looking for a new conversation. So yeah. just like let us know what you think. We like to yak. I'm saucy tonight, Sarah. I know, I love it. I love it. I like <laughs> I like this so much. <laughs> and uh, and uh, of course, like big shout out to um Miss Eves. You can find her on Twitter at Yo Eve. She does our intro and outro music and she's like a fucking badass and we love her. And um uh Aaron, Aaron at Aaron Doodles. He does our artwork and he is amazing. And um, yeah, we love all of you guys. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And we'll be back at you next time with Christian Colts. Part yeah. two. Christian <laughs> Colts, which is, right. yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be lit. As fuck. All right, y'all. See you next time. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.